Hi everyone, thanks for listening to the Scandinavian History Podcast. Before we start today's show, I'm afraid I need to issue a correction. In the last episode, talking about the Christianization of Scandinavia, I said that the Icelandic Commonwealth was older than the unified Norwegian Kingdom. That's obviously not true. Anyone who remembers episode 10, where we talked about the discovery and settlement of Iceland, knows full well that one of the push factors that made people leave Scandinavia to settle in Iceland to begin with was the unification of Norway and the political changes that that brought with it. I honestly don't know what I was thinking when I got the timeline muddled like that. Thank you to Sandy in Canada and Thomas in Sweden who got in touch and drew my attention to this silly mistake. Now, with that out of the way, let's get on with the show. Last episode was all about the Christianization of Scandinavia. We talked about how an early missionary like Ansgard did his very best to win the Scandinavians for Christ, but with little success. Except, of course, in terms of his own career, since he went from monk to archbishop to saint without actually having achieved all that much. What really did the trick, though, was when the Scandinavian elites started to send their sons to be educated in Christian countries like England and Francia. Noblemen and princes returned home with new ideas about religion and politics, and within a few generations, Scandinavia was converted to Christianity in a distinct top-down process, where the new religion was more or less forced upon the common people. The poor Icelanders were even pressured into accepting Christianity by the expansionist but pious Norwegian king Olav Tryggvason. But now it's time to rewind and go back in time to have a look at the other side of that coin, so to speak. Because in parallel to Christianization, Scandinavian kings were busy uniting smaller petty kingdoms into larger political entities that would eventually give us the three kingdoms that would dominate Scandinavia in the Middle Ages. Norway, Denmark and Sweden. Today, we'll start by talking about the unification of one of these kingdoms, Norway, under its legendary and perhaps even fictional founding king. Episode 21, Harold Fairhair. Norway is a country divided by mountains, chopping up the land into valleys of arable stripes where people could settle, but in relative isolation from each other. At the same time, Norway has a very long coastline, and you can actually live surprisingly far up north along this coastline thanks to the Gulf Stream bringing warm water from the Caribbean, and thus warming up the entire Scandinavian peninsula. Already in the Viking Age, people lived along the coast all the way north of Lofoten. Largely due to these geographical factors, Norway was divided into dozens of petty kingdoms. Despite all of this, Norway was united quite early in Scandinavian history. According to the Icelandic sagas, Norway was united in the end of the 9th century under Harald Fairhair, who is considered the first king of Norway. I say considered because most of Harald's life is cloaked in mystery, or at least uncertainty, for the simple reason that we don't have any surviving contemporary sources at all mentioning him. The earliest written sources where his name pops up are from the 12th century, which means that there's a gap of at least 250 years from his death until anyone bothered to write down his history. You don't have to be too zealous about source criticism to realize the problem in relying uncritically on such documentation. I mean, that would be like us today penning the original accounts of the first partition of Poland or the American War of Independence. 
a few things might have gotten lost or misinterpreted along the way. It doesn't really help that several of the sagas that contain detailed descriptions of Harald's life provide us with strikingly different accounts of his life, career and family life. Modern day scholars tend to fall into one of two camps when it comes to Harald Fairhair. Camp number one rejects the notion that he ever existed and claims that the sagas describing his life and work are just fiction. Camp number two has a more moderate approach and says that it can't be ruled out that there was a mighty king called Harald who ruled large swaths of Norway, most likely from somewhere on the west coast of the country, centering on the Sognefjord, but this king might not have controlled all of Norway. When explaining why the saga authors invented Harald Fairhair, modern skeptics sometimes theorize that the story about Harald was created as part of the Icelandic lore of settlement, explaining why people moved to the island. The story about the aggressive Norwegian king would also have sat well with the 12th century Icelanders, who were under increasing pressure from their contemporary Norwegian monarchs. Another theory claims that a fictitious Harald Fairhair served a political purpose for 12th century Norwegian kings who wanted to defend or perhaps introduce a custom of primogeniture in Norway, that is, a system where the king's oldest son automatically would inherit his father's crown without having to bother with elections like the Danish and Swedish kings did. We don't really know, and we most likely will never know for sure, if Harald Fairhair existed at all, and if so, what he accomplished in life, but considering how important the legend of Harald Fairhair has been to Norway for a millennium or so, I think that it's more than reasonable to introduce you to Harald as the sagas depict him, and generations of Norwegians have known him. And when we do look at the sagas and the tradition about Harald Fairhair that was established by the Middle Ages, there are some core elements that they all agree on. Most importantly, they all describe Harald Fairhair as the first king who managed to unite all of Norway under his control, and he reigned from around 872 until his death in the year 930 or so. Harald was born sometime in the middle of the 9th century. According to some sources, Harald was a descendant of Ragnar Lothbrok and Ragnar's son, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, through Harald's mother, Ragnhild. The sagas don't agree, however, on whether Sigurd was Harald's grandfather or great-grandfather, or even great-great-grandfather. Either way, Harald Fairhair and his descendants were happy to flaunt their familial connection to these legendary Viking heroes of the past. Harald's heritage on his paternal line is also rather muddled. According to the Heimskringla, Snorri Sturluson's collection of sagas about the old kings of Norway that we talked about in episode 17, Sagas and Runes, Harald's father, Halvdan Gudredason, also known as Halvdan the Black, was a petty king in Vestfold on the western shores of the Oslofjord. Halvdan had spent his life gobbling up territory and expanding his kingdom through both warfare and inheritance. The muddled bit is that Halvdan the Black was supposed to have had an, another, older son who also was called Harald and whose mother was also called Ragnhild, just like Harald Fairhair's. This Ragnhild was the daughter of another petty king called Harald Goldbeard of Song. When King Harald Goldbeard died, his grandson, Harald, the son of Havdan the Black and the other Ragnhild, inherited his grandfather. Unfortunately, Havdan's older son, Harald, died young, and Havdan the Black inherited his kingdom as well, adding to his own realm. Later scholars have assumed that there was only one Harald, son of Ragnhild, and that the second one was a necessary invention in order to provide Harald Fairhair with a familial connection to Ragnar Lothbrok and Sigurd Snake in the Eye. 
Whether we assume that Harald's mother wasn't the descendant of mythical dragon slayers and Viking legends, but rather merely the daughter of a regular run-of-the-mill petty king on the shores of Songnefjord, Harald's father, Havdan the Black, drowned on New Year's Day in the year 860. At that time, Harald was still just a boy, 10 years old. Up until this point, he'd led the life of a privileged son and heir of a king, but with his father's sudden death, he found himself in a precarious position. His father had made many enemies over the years, not least among the other petty kings whose lands he had conquered, and they all saw the perfect opportunity present itself when Havdan's kingdom was placed in the hands of a child. They threw themselves over Havdan's leaderless lands and divided it amongst themselves. Luckily for Harald, he had an uncle called Guthorm, who took him under his wing and fought for his nephew's throne. Guthorm not only had an army, but also knew how to use it. Slowly, slowly, Guthrum retook control over Halfdan the Black's former kingdom, and astonishingly, he continued to do so in the name of his underage nephew, instead of assuming power for himself, which otherwise seems to be the expected behavioral pattern for older relatives fighting for child kings throughout history. After years of fighting, Harald and Guthrum, or let's face it, mostly Guthrum, had re recaptured Halfdan the Black's kingdom. All of the rivals were dead. By this time, Harald was a teenager, and like so many other teenage boys, he had taken an interest in girls. And this, the sagas tell us, is what propelled him into history. According to the tradition that the sagas try to sell us, Harald decided to conquer all of Norway, not because he was an aggressive petty king on the rise with a ruthless streak and a taste for power and gold. Not at all. He did it out of love. You see, Harald fell in love with this girl called Gyda, who was the daughter of Eric, the king of Hordaland, on the southwestern coast of Norway. He wanted to marry her, but according to tradition, Gyda's response to his proposal was that she wouldn't marry him unless he first became king of all of Norway. It's unclear if this was her way to push him to achieve great things in life, or just a way to rebuff a suitor by giving him an impossible task. Either way, Harald took her at her word and vowed to achieve the goal of becoming the king of all of Norway. He added that he wouldn't cut or even comb his hair until he had completed the, the mission. It took him several years, and in that time his hair became quite a sight. Remember that we've talked about in the past how the Vikings were quite keen on hair care, and as noted by their Anglo-Saxon victims. But, spoiler alert, in the end he did defeat all the other petty kings to to become the first ever king of all of Norway, so he could not only marry the girl of his dreams, but also get a haircut. And it's from that haircut, which was a decade in the making, that his nickname Fair Hair comes from, or Good Looking Hair, which would be a better, but perhaps less catchy translation. Because even though he had impressive hair, it wasn't necessarily blonde, as the English word fair implies. Fair in this context is a translation of the Scandinavian word meaning beautiful. Don't get me wrong, he might have been blonde, but it's unlikely that blonde hair would have been noteworthy enough in 10th century Norway to merit the coining of a nickname. In the year 866, Harald started his campaign of conquering Norway in earnest. Setting out from his home base in Vestfold on the shores of the Oslofjord, he moved north, taking control over the uplands and even Värmland in today Sweden. He eventually reached the Atlantic coast at Trøndelag, where he turned south and made his way along the coastline, subduing the Norwegian petty kingdoms one after the other. 
And don't worry, I'll publish a map of all this in the Facebook group and on Twitter in case your knowledge of Norwegian geography is a little shaky. Anyone who stood in his way or didn't support him enthusiastically enough was unceremoniously killed. Harald's reputation as a ruthless and violent conqueror spread and most likely helped to weaken the will of the, to resist among future opponents. But fear wasn't the only secret to his success. According to the sagas, Harald was a brave and strong warrior, but Snorri Sturluson points out that his success also had to do with his leadership skills, his forward-thinking military tactics, and his tax policy. You might think that Harald was popular because he was reducing taxes, but you'd be wrong. He actually increased the tax burden on the areas he conquered, but he was really smart about how he utilized his new resources. Instead of lining his own pockets, he passed on a third of the tax revenues to his jarls. This meant that it was very profitable for chieftains and other powerful men to join Harald on the gravy train to Norwegian unification. One of these influential men who saw the benefits of allying himself with Harald was Håkon Grotgardsson of Trendelag, who sealed his alliance with Harald by giving him his daughter's hand in marriage, as well as his substantial fleet. Harald, who had a large army but no ships, thanked him by making him the Jarl of Lade, and his family would become one of the most influential dynasties in Norway for generations to come. According to the sagas, Harald also made a detour north to Namdal, it was ruled by two petty kings, who also happened to be brothers, Herlaug and Rollaug. When news reached them that Harald was on his way, the brothers realized that their time as independent petty kings was up. Herlaug wasn't willing to be, uh, bend his knee to Harald and preferred to die as sovereign king. He and twelve of his loyal men buried themselves alive in a mound before Harald's forces arrived. His brother and co-regent preferred to live, and so he volunteered to relinquish the title of king and instead accepted the position as one of Harald's jarls. Harald thought that was an acceptable solution and left Rolaug to rule Namdal for him. Another jarl in Harald's service was Rongvald Eysteinsson of Møre, just south of Trøndelag. He is sometimes known as Rongvald the Mighty or Rongvald the Wise Counselor, and he was one of Harald's best friends and allies. It was he who would eventually cut Harald's hair and come up with the ever-so-slightly sycophantic nickname Fair Hair. Those of you who are into Viking genealogy might be interested to know that according to at least one source, Rongvald Jarl had a son who you might have heard of. He was so large that no horse could carry him, so he had to walk wherever he wanted to go. Because of this, he was called Walking Rolf, but internationally he's best known as Rollo. And if that doesn't ring a bell, I advise you go back and listen to episode 9, Fatso in France. Speaking of Rongwald's family, he also had a sister called Svanhild, and King Harald apparently liked her, liked her just as much, if not more, than her brother, because he had two children with her, Björn and Olav. This Olav would later have a son called Trygve, and who in turn had a son called Olav after his grandfather, Harald Fairhair's son. And this Olav Tryggvason is the very same King Olav I we talked about last time, who worked so hard to Christianize Norway and who forced Christianity upon Iceland. Or at least, that's the ancestry Olav I would claim in order to justify his right to the Norwegian throne. In this manner, Harald took control over Norway, piece by piece. Some petty kings and jarls submitted to his power willingly in order to reap the benefits of his friendship and revenue stream, whereas others faced Harald and his growing number of allies in battle. 
where they inevitably lost and were forced off their ancestor lands, which were then doled out to Harald's allies and friends. After this had been going on for a few years, Harald had expanded his control over almost all of Norway. The only part that still resisted him was the southwest. Snorri Sturluson describes how the petty kings of Hordaland, none other than Eric, Gyda's father, Rogaland, Telemark and Agder all banded together to end Harald's seemingly unstoppable advance. Under the leadership of the king of Agder, Kjotve the Rich, they loaded their men onto their ships and set off to crush this growing threat once and for all. But Harald found out about the impending attack and gathered his own fleet, sailing to meet the coalition of his enemies. The two sides met when the coalition fleet sailed into Hafrsfjord, near modern-day Stavanger on the west coast of Norway. There, Harald was waiting for them, accompanied by his three oldest and most trustworthy allies, his uncle Gothorm, his father-in-law Håkon Jarl, and his BFF Rongvold Jarl. The ensuing battle was long, fierce, and enormous. It was the largest battle to have taken place in Norway up until that point, and possibly for quite some time afterwards as well. Harald had brought approximately 100 ships, and his opponents had a large fleet of their own. Both sides fought hard and valiantly, jumping from ship to ship in hand-to-hand combat, but at the end, Harald's side won. King Eric of Hordaland, the man Harald had hoped would become his father-in-law, fell during the battle, and so did the king of Rogaland and many other prominent Norwegians. The king of Agder, Kjotve the Rich, fled the scene after his berserker son was killed. We don't know for sure what happened to King Kjotve. Maybe he was killed shortly after the battle when Harald declared his enemies outlaws, or perhaps he chose to submit in the end and agree to serve under King Harald after all. According to the sagas, the Battle of Hafersfjord was the decisive battle that ended Harald's long campaign of conquest and unification. After the battle, the triumphant Harald proclaimed himself king over all of Norway, and it was now that Rongwald Jarl of Mere cut Harald's hair and gave him the nickname Fairhair to complement his new hairdo. No one knows exactly when the Battle of Hafersfjord took place, and from what year Harald Fairhair ruled all of Norway. In the 1830s, the historian Rudolf Kaiser calculated that it must have been in the year 872, and this year stuck for a long time, at least long enough for the Norwegians to celebrate a thousand years of statehood in 1872. Ironically, Norway wasn't an independent state at the time, but that's a story for a much later episode. In the 1920s, another historian called Harvdan Kot did his own calculations and reached the conclusion that the battle must have taken place around the year 900 or so. Other later historians have leaned more in the direction of the 870s or 880s, but I guess it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Harald Fairhair was still a young man when he achieved his goal of becoming king of all of Norway. He probably wasn't even 30 years old at the time, and he would rule for several decades. One reason he managed to hold on to his throne was that he remained ruthless and combined his ruthlessness with more than a pinch of paranoia. The slightest rumor that you may be scheming against the king, even if you weren't, could be enough to have you killed or exiled. By eliminating real and imagined opponents as soon as he heard about them, he managed to keep his remaining domestic enemies weak and disorganized. So it's perhaps not all that surprising that Harald's triumph launched an exodus of his opponents from Norway. Many of those who had fought against him didn't want to live in a kingdom unified under Harald Fairhair's rule. 
others were harassed and threatened until they realized it would be best to leave. Many packed their belongings and set off to settle on the newly discovered island of Iceland, as we've talked about in a previous episode and mentioned at the beginning of today's show. Others opted for more or less permanent exiles in the Orkney, Shetland, Hebrides or Faroe Islands, as well as other parts of mainland Scandinavia or Europe. In the short term, this was good news for Harald Fairhair. It's much easier to run a kingdom if the opposition has vacated the premises. But the fact that so many of them had settled in the relative vicinity of the islands of Scotland forced the king to send expeditions over there to hunt down his most dangerous opponents in order to secure long-term peace and stability back home in Norway. Another short-term benefit for King Harald was that when rich and powerful chieftains left Norway, their lands were up for grabs. And it should come as no surprise that the new king grabbed quite a lot of it. Some he redistributed to his loyal followers and some he kept for himself, further increasing his wealth and influence. Harold Fairhair not only knew how to tie his allies to his rule by making them wealthy men, in addition, he did so by marrying their daughters. He married several daughters of powerful local chieftains, and then he let his sons with these women rule their mother's home regions in his name. That way, the local administration was closely linked to the dynasty and hopefully would be loyal to the king, at least as long as the king was Harold Fairhair. This meant that Harold had a lot of children together with several different women. The sources differ regarding exactly how many children he had. Some say 11, and some claim they were 20. Gida, the woman who supposedly had made Harold conquer all of Norway, never did become queen after the conquest was accomplished. After her father, who had been one of the principal opponents of Harold's, had fallen at the Battle of Hafersfjord, Gida was only made one of Harold's many concubines. Instead, a woman named Ragnhild the Mighty became his primary wife. She was the daughter of a petty king from Jutland in Denmark, and the dynastic connection to a foreign royal house might have trumped any feeling of love King Harald might have had for Gyda. This arrangement, marrying strategically and producing sons to rule in his name, wasn't strange per se in pre-Christian Scandinavia, where men were free to marry more than one woman if they could afford it, and Harald certainly could. But Harold's choice of filial bureaucracy caused some other issues that might not have been too difficult to foresee. The main problem with the plan was that, unfortunately, just like their father, the Harold sons seemed to have been a ruthless and ambitious bunch, and they didn't always get along with each other. The long-term plan, as far as Harold was concerned, was that he'd be succeeded by his favorite son, Eric Haraldson. Eric was the only child of the Danish princess Ragnhild the Mighty, who herself died young. Perhaps the fact that his mother was of royal lineage herself played a part in the decision to make him their heir. Harald favored Eric over all his other sons, and Eric, who was fiercely loyal to his father, became something of his right-hand man and dispatcher. For instance, another of Harald's sons, Rangvald Haraldsson, got involved in sorcery and magic. Harald Fairhair didn't like this one bit and ordered Rangvald to stop it immediately. When Rangvald refused his father's order, Harald then sent Eric to kill his half-brother. Eric burned Rangvald and his posse of sorcerers and magicians alive in Rangvald's hall. But Eric didn't only kill on his father's request. At another occasion, when he'd killed another of his half-brothers, called Björn, Harald Fairhair had to step in to protect his favorite son Eric from the wrath of his other sons. Needless to say, this didn't exactly endear Eric to his brothers. 
When Harald Fairhaird grew old, he elevated Eric to co-ruler, hoping that this would help make the transition to the next generation smoother once he himself died. They ruled together for three years until Harald Fairhair passed away undramatically from old age in the year 933 or so. He died in Rogaland on the west coast and is thought to have been buried by the Strait of Karmsund at a traditional burial site for early Norwegian kings. Harald had reigned for an extraordinarily long time and his subjects had had decades to get used to the idea that one king should rule all of Norway. By the time of his death, most Norwegians alive hadn't known anything else than a united kingdom with Harald Fairhair on the throne. So Harald had had ample time to consolidate his new kingdom. But in the time when the late Viking Age was beginning to spill over into the early Middle Ages, states were frail entities. There was little administrative or legal support to keep it together once the strongman at the helm disappeared. What Norway needed in order to remain a stable and strong united kingdom after Harald Fairhair's death was a peaceful transition of power and that Harald's successor would prove as skillful as his father had been in ruling the country. Next time, we'll see whether the new king, Harald's favorite son Eric, really was up to the task. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Scandinavian History Podcast. If you did, please recommend it to all your friends and foes. Also, please consider leaving a favorable review and perhaps a sprinkle of stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an excellent way to attract new listeners and to motivate me to go on producing the show. Another good way to support the show is to go to Amazon or Kindle and buy my book, Viking Mythology, Thor, Odin, Loki, and the Old Norse Myths. I also recommend checking out the Scandinavian History Podcast Facebook page. If you haven't already, then please go to facebook.com slash Scandinavian History Podcast. Like and follow the page if you're interested in more content related to Scandinavian history. Via the Facebook page, you can also send me questions or angry emails about things I've said or not said on the show. If you're more into Twitter, then you can follow me and send me messages at Schenkman. That's S-H-A-I-N-K-M-A-N. I look forward to hearing from you.